0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Companies are dealing with risks 24-7, 365, and those risks may come from a variety of sources, things that maybe people in the company could have done a better job to prevent, and also sources where they couldn't, like natural disasters. But it is how you prepare and deal with those risks that can set you aside, set your company aside, from many others. A new book takes a look at these issues. It is called Mastering Catastrophic Risk, How Companies Are Coping with Disruption. The authors are Mike Usim, who's professor of management here at the Wharton School. He's also director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management. And Howard Cunruther, who's professor of decision sciences and public policy, as well as co-director of the Risk Management and Decision Processes Center here at the Wharton School and two of our favorite people to Bring into the studio, Mike Howard, as always. Great to see you. Dan, great to be here. Great to be here as well. Uh, I guess let's start with the idea of how the two of you came together to do this book. Obviously, there are parts of this from both sides of of... you know, your work here at, uh,
2: at Wharton, Howard? Well, I think we came to do this because of our, our interests with respect to the leadership aspect of which Mike is directing in the center and how risk is dealt with by corporations. And we were very, very fortunate to have, uh, the travelers corporation, Jay Fishman, uh, who passed away and the book is dedicated to him, who really was supporting this effort in the sense of giving us complete freedom to really do a whole set of interviews and providing the financial support. So I think bringing us together, uh, we had been together over a number of years yep. uh, to think about these issues, but this was the first time that we had formally worked on the notion of actually interviewing uh, key people in organizations. Right?
0: Yeah, if you think about the two terms that Howard's referenced, risk and leadership, uh, in this case they go together, often we think of those as something separate. Risk, we've got to be uh, kind of analytic and, and disciplined, and it's often technical, Leadership, it's all about having a vision and setting a strategy. But we concluded after talking with quite a few people and companies, directors, executives, and uh, senior managers, that uh, this topic, the conjoining of these, of, these, of these two terms, call them terms, uh, risk and leadership, uh, the time has come in that many companies now uh, are self-conscious about appraising risk, measuring risk, managing risk, and ensuring the company is ready to lead through a tough moment the risk has caused.
1: So is this, a, is this a recognition that has developed in the recent period of time for, let's say, 10 years, 20 years, in com- in comparison yeah. to maybe what the, the mindset of the C-suite or the executive board was back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s?
0: Yeah, Dan, I think what really got us going uh, on the book in terms of the timing is exactly what you referenced. 10 or 15 years ago, no companies had a, a chief risk officer. Yeah. Risk was barely mentioned. The term enterprise risk management, ERM for short, was not even around. But if you look at any uh, trend line out there, uh, uh, what do people worry about when they get together at uh, watering holes for, for senior management? Risk now is on the agenda uh, just about everywhere for good reason because the risk that companies have faced, uh, we, we track a bunch of them uh, in recent years, have gone up. Uh, the catastrophic downside of big risk also has increased, and so more risk, more downside, more people are paying attention.
2: Howard? Well, I think one of the really interesting issues associated with uh, the study and our our interviews with the uh, senior management uh, side is that before 9-11, there was really very, very little emphasis by the firms on low probability events, the right. black swan events. And with starting with 9-11 and then continuing through to today, these issues now have become more important and yeah. black swans are now much more common yeah. than they were before. And as a result, firms are now paying attention. But I think the point that we recognized in interviewing people, and they were very, very frank, we uh, we, uh, we actually recorded the interviews without re- attributing anything to these Individuals, So we have appropriate quotes in the book from these various people without necessarily identifying them except to say a financial institution or a chemical company. Right. But when interviewing them, they were very clear with us that now that the events have occurred – they are putting it high on the agenda. And as Mike has indicated, they, the boards are now paying attention to it and all senior management. And so it's a big, big change. Well,
1: and, and you think about it, you mentioned nine eleven, and obviously that that was such an impactful event in, in the history of our country and for so many companies. Uh, but then a few years later, you have the recession and that was so impactful for not only a lot of companies, but millions and millions of people, not only here around the in the United States, but around the globe as well. And that's kind of where the the meshing of the different types of risk, I think, comes in when you have something that destructive as 9-11 and obviously all the storms that we see that impact companies. But then you have the recession, which was so so impactful yeah. as well.
0: Dan, you make a great point in that we, we raise the question in the book, again, as Howard indicated by these depth interviews with people inside the company, whether on the board or in the management suite. And they consistently said that four events uh, going back about 15 or now 17 years together became a, a wake-up call or an alarm bell. So nine eleven uh, that got us thinking about the unthinkable. Yeah. Uh, a couple hurricanes came through. Sandy, maybe above all, yeah. uh, was a huge event. The recession or the near-depression back in oh eight oh nine. who thought – that uh, the Dow was going to lose 500 points in a day, who thought Lehman was going to go under, but yeah. it all happened. And then finally, the events in uh, 2011 in Japan with this uh, enormous tsunami. Oh, yeah. yeah. After a yeah. 9.0 earthquake yeah. that left uh, probably 25,000 people dead, but also, or I should say, and also uh, kind of set a fire, to use a metaphor, uh, in a nuclear plant yeah. uh, that was hit by the tsunami. These four events, most companies not directly touched or, well, that's not quite true. With oh eight oh nine, many companies were touched. Yeah. But even if you were not touched, you just look at the the four points on a graph. Uh, the costs are high. Many companies are impacted. And so, okay, everybody, let's just pull up our socks. Let's get on with enterprise risk management. Let's make it an art.
1: With the leaders that, that you both have, have talked with, uh, obviously leadership is a very important topic, Mike, that you deal with every day and, and Howard as well. But- Have the leaders that you spoke with, has their mindset uh, about how they do their day-to-day job, whether it be the C-suite, the board, whatever it might be, has that
2: significantly changed in the last 10 years because of these events? Well, I would say yes. A short answer is yes. I think what's interesting is – that it has changed in the following ways, that the leaders are now saying, we have to put risk on the agenda. We have to think about our risk appetite, which they hadn't thought about before. Mm -hmm. We have to think about our risk tolerance. Uh, financial institutions played that role, and they were very clear about that right after the two thousand uh, eight uh, nine debacle, where they were af- affected, and they had to ask themselves very explicitly that question. But I think this is now much broader than that, and so I think that the leaders have re- recognized that they also have to think longer term. This is one of the issues. We have a framework that we've developed in the book that tries to combine some of the work that has gonna come out of the, the literature that Danny Conamel has pioneered in on thinking fast and slow by indicating that intuitive thinking uh, is the mindset that we often have, uh, thinking myopically, thinking optimistically, uh, not wanting to change from the status quo, and that leaders have now recognized that they have got to put on the table more deliberative thinking and think more long-term. That is a change, and they tie that together with risk. And that's what I think one of our contributions is, with respect to the book, is to try to put together a framework that really resonates with the leaders and the key people in the organization, and so that they can respond in a way that actually makes sense not only to them, but to us.
0: Mike? Yeah, to think about it uh, tangibly in the case of the boardroom, if you go back 15 years, and we asked a lot of people who are in the boardroom who, who were serving, let's say, in the early part of the last uh, decade, uh, was risk uh, cyber risk uh, catastrophic risk in board deliberations? And the answer typically is no. Yeah. Ask the same people about today, and they say, "Of course, uh, we've we watched with uh, with horror what has happened to some of the the cyber disasters at Target and elsewhere." Yeah. And no board worth its um, <laughs> its its pay is these days unconcerned about about risk. Now, got to be careful, uh, the board. Works with management, sets the vision, does not micromanage. Yeah. But what boards are increasingly doing, this came out in our interviews, is saying to management, let's see what your risk tolerance is. Let's see what your risk appetite is. Let's see what measures <laughs> you already have in place. And, how uh, bad could it get? Yeah, exactly. It really <laughs> exactly. So think about how bad it can get, and nobody wants to think about the unthinkable. But right. come on, everybody, let's think about it.
1: Well, okay, then let me throw out a couple of examples from the recent past. When yeah. We were talking about them before we went on the air. One being Wells Fargo, uh, because of the impact that they are supposed to have with their, with the public, with their consumers. And obviously being, those consumers being let down in the way that they were with some of the events that were going on. And the most recent one being Facebook and how that is impacting. And now you're starting to hear even more stuff come out about Facebook. The the latest being that supposedly they had relationships with 60 some odd companies in terms of sharing data.
0: Well, let's start with Wells Fargo, and we, we don't mean to pick on any company. We right. don't mean to yep. extol the virtues of any company, but we can learn from all. And so Howard and I uh, did take a, a look at the the events at Wells Fargo, extremely instructive. Uh, number one, and this is well known, this is widely publicized, uh, the company, no surprise, we advocate, uh, put in very tough performance measures. You've yep. got you to get results, yep. uh, otherwise uh, you're not going to be here in 12 months. But uh, with that, there um, apparently was not a recognition that rec- very tough performance indicators without guardrails against excess of performance, that was a, a toxic uh, mix. And we've seen what happened to Wells Fargo. They've paid billions in fines. The Federal Reserve has a stricture right now that Wells Fargo cannot accept more uh, one more dollar in assets until it can prove to the Fed that it has good risk measures in place because yeah. they... Didn't so Wells Fargo. We also document in the book the events with Volkswagen that had the yeah. so-called defeat devices yep. uh, intended to report if a, if a VW vehicle was brought in for a, an inspection that the emissions were meeting uh, U.S. standards when, in fact, uh, the software just <laughs> simply was fooling the, uh, the the person looking at the dials there, and that apparently went all the way up to the top. Yep. Well, that's under litigation. We'll see what's finally resolved there. But VW and Volkswagen took enormous hits in terms of reputation, brand, stock price, and beyond. And again, just like 9-11, those are kind of two, and we also document a bit uh, the BP problems in, sure. in the Gulf. Sure, oh, yeah. Uh, there, but for the grace of God, could go I if I don't have enterprise risk management in place. So they're instructive.
2: Howard? Let me use the Wells Fargo as an example that Mike alluded to as something that we mentioned. We didn't really interview anyone with respect to Volkswagen, right. but we did have public information, and it's included in the book. And the reason that we felt it was so important is that VW basically felt that this was a low probability event, yep. that they would be detected. Yep. And they put it below their threshold level of concern, and they emphasized it essentially the optimistic part of this which was to say let's see what we can do yeah. and is a way of really improving our bottom line and so what mm-hmm. we have been trying to do in the book and we have our last chapter is to give a checklist to people uh, to companies really and to individuals we see it as a broad based kind of set of checklist yeah. on how they can do a better job of dealing with that and one of the there, there, there are two aspects I think that are important here just to, to raise in the context of what you were raising, Dan, the important issue of this being a current uh, problem for a number of companies today with Facebook and Wells Fargo sure. and Volkswagen now hitting the headlines again yeah. uh, with respect to that. And what we really say is pay attention to these low probability events. There are ways to do that by saying, if you think not only in terms of next year, but over the next 10 years, yeah. what you can see as a very low probability event would actually be quite high over a period of time. And if you begin to think think long-term, which is what firms want to do. They pay attention to that.
1: And the the economic impact on the company itself and think about what uh, Toyota has had to go through over the last several years, Mm. uh, you know, with the airbag Mm. issues, Uh, you know, that's that's a story Mm. that, uh, I mean, we've been talking about it now, you know, for several years, and seemingly it feels like we're going to continue to talk about it for for several more, and it doesn't feel like there's any end in sight to that specific case. So let me Mm. me
2: put the second part, which is Mm. exactly Exactly what you're referring to, Dan, and that is you tie the issue of getting people to uh, companies and directors to pay attention to the low probability, and then you say to them, construct a worst case scenario. Yeah. Put on the table what could happen if it turns out you were discovered, yeah. or if there is an incident that occurs, or an accident, as Mike was saying on the BP side. What's going to happen to the company? What will happen to its reputation? Yeah. What will happen to its survival? And what will happen to its bottom line? And I think. Our feeling is, if you can begin to get people to think about the appetite and tolerance in the context of these low probabilities that could be quite high, yeah. and worst case scenarios, as you're referring to with the airbags, Toyota, then I think you have an opportunity for companies to pay attention, and they're doing that as as Mike and I Mike and I have found out in not in our interviews and even talking more recently with them. The, the other part
1: to it also, and and we were talking again about this before we went on, is the. the the disaster or the catastrophic event that is a natural phenomenon we're seeing right now what is going on in Hawaii with the volcanoes that have been erupting now for several weeks Guatemala uh, obviously with uh, the problems that they're having there and I think it's sixty or so people that have been yep. killed because of uh, of the volcanoes down there those are are issues where companies have to be prepared for them, but they can't really control what happens or if something happens that's more on the government. You know, to to deal with a lot of the services that need to come forward.
0: And it's a great warning to us all as we've watched the events slowly unfold in Hawaii, more kind of emergently and urgently unfolding in Guatemala with the volcano there. And that is the impact of natural disasters worldwide is on the rise. Just no other way to describe it except a graph that's going up, partly because people live in closer now to some of the places that um, historically are seismic and so on. Uh, hurricanes may be intense, being intensified by global warming. We'll see about that. More people along the Florida coast. All that being said, natural disasters are in a, obviously in a much bigger class of disaster disasters. Yeah. So uh, we even reference uh, what happens if a chief executive suddenly unexpectedly dies in office. Do you have a succession plan sure. in mind? And then to wrap that up, Dan, in uh, kind of a formula we offered here at the end that Howard referenced we, at the end of the day, thought since we wrote this book for people to be able to think through their own catastrophic risk management, we offered from the experience of other large companies, mainly in the U.S. We have a couple of German companies, though we focus on Deutsche Bank, Lufthansa, and so on. Uh, we suggest that the vigilant manager, the watchful director, ought to be mindful of. We offered up 10 separate points. Let me just mention one to illustrate it. Uh, we call it, and it's sort of an obvious point, be alert to near misses. Sure. And yeah. what we mean by that yeah. is if, if uh, there but for the grace of God go I, if I'm an uh, energy producer and we watch about B, B, what happened to BP in the Gulf, whoa, we don't want that to happen to us. Yep. Let's learn from what they went through. And the A case for me, this really almost got me going on this topic is the fact that um, uh, big U.S. investment bank, Morgan Stanley, which had been in the South Tower of the World Trade Center when 9-11 hit, they, because of the events eight years earlier, 1993, a bomb had gone off in the basement of the World Trade Center. The risk officer at Morgan Stanley said, who knows what else might happen, but that was close. It was a near miss. And so the risk officer, a guy named Rich Viscarla, one of the great heroes of 9-11, uh, insisted that Morgan Stanley every year, because of that near miss, practice a massive drill of evacuating the tower they were in. So wow. when 9-11 occurred, North Tower is hit first. Morgan Stanley's in the South Tower. Uh, Rascorla said, let's get out of here. And he managed to evacuate almost all 4,000 people. He was one individual who did not get out. He went back into check. Uh, this becomes an um, uh, unequivocal hero for Morgan Stanley and many other people. But the bigger point Taking from that is uh, learn from the world around us uh, because these. Developments are, are intensifying. The, the yeah. threats are bigger. The downside more costly. Well, and uh, go ahead, Howard. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, just a, a point. Two quick points on mm-hmm. on what Mike said, and then mentioning one one other aspect. Uh, the Morgan Stanley uh, example is one that we highlighted at the beginning for just the reasons that Mike actually mentioned that the near misses are important on any aspect. Mm-hmm. But the other point that I think is is important for today is another t- part of the checklist, and that's mm-hmm. appreciate the global inter connectedness, the interdependencies. Uh, And that point really came out particularly with Fukushima uh, and with the Thailand floods that some people, uh, some companies mentioned. We we asked each company what was the most adverse event that they faced. And so they had the complete freedom to say anything they wanted. A death of a CEO could have been one. Kidnapping Mm. was another. But as Mike indicated earlier, the uh, Fukushima was a critical one. And so were the Thai floods. And the reason for that is these were companies in the S&P 500, but they were concerned in terms of how they were getting their parts, and so supply chains were really very important, and they recognized after Fukushima that they really were relying on a single supply chain, which the auto companies in particular, that they couldn't actually rely on for a period of time. So what we're trying to highlight is, these are things that firms are thinking about. I think it's important, as uh, Mike mentioned, and I want to just highlight, that these came out of the discussions with the, with the leadership. Yeah. And it's a question for other companies as well as those companies to think about.
1: Well, I'm just thinking yeah. you mentioned about the, you know, if by chance a, a CEO were to die, as soon as I you said that, I was thinking, oh, I, came close to that with Oscar Munoz at United a couple of years ago yeah. when when he suffered his heart trouble, and you know there's somebody that is so uh, is so invested in the day to day operations of his company that it would have had a repercussion if he would have died and they didn't yeah, they yeah. didn't have something in place totally
0: so Dan, just to pick up on that, uh, I think many of us carry around the phrase. What happens if a top person, a key man or woman, is hit by the bus? These days we probably rephrase it, suppose they're hit by a driverless vehicle. But in any <laughs> right, case, uh, right. su- suppose the, the terrible thing happens. Maybe a health. Uh, maybe it is the proverbial bus that's speeding down a road. And with that said, each of the risks is different from the others. Sure, yeah. All we're calling for from looking at the companies that are pretty far into it is getting those risks figured out and then having in place a set of steps to anticipate hopefully it's like insurance yeah. the best insurance is one that never pays off because the disaster is not having the best risk management system is one it's not invoked but case in point uh we we did get into the events around the lufthansa aircraft yeah. uh, fatal crash yeah. and uh, lufthansa had in place predictably not surprising here airlines off uh, all airlines now have a, a scheme if they have something terrible go wrong yeah uh but within minutes they were in action. They, within minutes, they would called the Chancellor of Germany. Within minutes, they had people heading to the scene, uh, not because that's what they do, yeah. but because they had thought about the un, mm. the unimaginable and they had in place a system to react quickly. Uh, and also, we should say one more point, and this goes back to a lot of the work that Howard has done over many years, you have to deal with an enormous amount of uncertainty when disaster sure. strikes. yeah. And so there's a, uh, I guess, premise number one, be ready to act. Premise number two, be ready to work with enormous uncertainty. But don't let that put you back from the task ahead.
1: Great having you both here. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Howard. All the best.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.